Now we need to move on to consider the third and kind of foundational point from Van Til's doctrine of the person of Christ incarnate. And for lack of a better way of putting it, I summarize it as immutable personhood and inhypostatic humanity. Now, when it comes to this understanding of the immutability of the person of the Son, I want, I'm going to quote this later in detail, but I just want to remind you from the Introduction to Systematic Theology, IST, um, page 210 to 11, Van Til, quoting Bavink and critiquing Dorner, says that when God created the world and when Jesus Christ became incarnate, there was no change in God. And I want you to remember this as well, that the Augustinian and Calvinist tradition, the confessionally reformed tradition exemplified by Voss and Van Til and Bavink, affirm a doctrine of the unqualified immutability of the living and true God. Now, just in light of that, I want to develop immutable personhood and talk about the specific character of the hypostatic union, the inhypostatic humanity of Jesus, which I promise I'll define later, under uh, three propositions that amplify Van Til's point about there being no change in, in God in creation or incarnation, and how this underwrites the fact that there is no commingling of the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable Creator and the finite, temporal, and changing creature in the union of the natures, or in the union, uh, in the hypostatic union itself. And we'll use these three propositions. The first proposition is that we have as the subject of the incarnation a living and immutable divine person, the Son of God. A living and immutable divine person. And here, Gerhardus Voss, following uh, the order of Turretin's presentation, and I think advancing with admirable clarity some of the points Turretin makes, uh, says this in question and answer 25. This is now... If you're interested, this is Voss, R-D-3, uh, R-D-3, let me get that right here. And this is on uh, page uh, 42. Listen to this. Voss says, is this one subject, this one person in the mediator, a divine or a human person? Answer, the person is divine and not human or divine human. Now just pause just for a second. The person of the mediator is divine, not human, and not divine human. You need to reflect on that in in, in some depth, and I'm going to develop that, but please hear that as an opening statement. We're not dealing with a human person. We're not dealing with a divine human person, some tertium quid. The subject of the incarnation is and remains always a divine person. 
Now he goes on, in order to be convinced immediately of this, one may take the following into consideration. And this is one of those, if you're prone to making quotes and putting them on your desk or up on your wall, this is one to, to have. Listen, quote, in the Logos, a divine person who is immutable is present from eternity. If now there can be but one person in the mediator, and the divine person cannot be eradicated or changed, then it is self-evident that this one person is the divine person of the Logos. One can maintain the immutability of God if one holds to the deity of the person in the mediator. The choice lies between two persons or one divine person, end of quote. Now, Voss affirms here that there is only one divine person in the mediator. He's not two persons, Nestorianism. He's not a human person, Arianism and Socinianism. And he's not a divine human person, Eutychianism. The incarnate mediator is a divine person. That must be affirmed, and that uh, requires all of the emphasis that we can give it. If you say that he's two persons, you're a Nestorian. If you say he's a human person, you're an Arian or a Socinian. And if you say he's somehow a divine human person, you are a Eutychian who has introduced a third thing, neither fully divine nor fully human, but a mixture. Voss then says, secondly, and this is critical to remember, that this divine person is eternal and immutable. If you think back to what we did in our first module when we were talking about the Trinitarian processions, as the Son, who is God of Himself, simple as deity is not derived, an autothean person, as an autothean person, in His processional relation to the Father, the Eternal Son is a living an immutable divine person. Voss is saying precisely that. This is creedal and confessional orthodoxy to affirm that the eternal person of the Son is living and immutable. They're involved in one another. Let me put this directly. God the Son is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is God, without remainder and without division. And Voss then crystallizes this proposition so succinctly. He says, if there can be but one person in the mediator, now he's already contemplating him as incarnate, okay? The mediator is incarnate. So please understand this. He's not just talking about him ad intra, apart from his relation to his assumed humanity. He's talking about him in relation to his assumed humanity. If there can be but one person in the mediator, and the divine person cannot be changed or eradicated, it is self-evident that there is one person, the divine person of the Logos. And he goes on to say, you really cannot affirm immutability unless you maintain the immutability of the eternal person of the Son as the mediator. They stand or fall together. And so, 
Voss is not alone in this. Van Til and Bavink explicitly express the same thought. And I said I would quote it in detail later. It's later. Intro to Systematic Theology, pages 210 and 211 especially. Listen to this. Van Til militantly maintains the immutability of the person of the Son of God in his incarnation, in his critique of Dorner, in the IST. Van Til observed this, quote, Bavink points out that the immutability of God has had its enemies. And he says that Isaac August Dorner held only to an ethical form of immutability, but went on to teach, quote, that God changed when he actually created the world, and when in the person of his son, he became flesh. Notice Van Til's language. God changed in his relation to creation, and he changed in the person of the Son in the incarnation. All modernist constructions affirm a mutable person. Van Til is saying Dorner is an example of someone who says the person is mutable in the incarnation. But he goes on to say, quote, Bavik insists, and rightly so, that all these efforts, what efforts? Ascribing mutability to God in creation and ascribing mutability to the person of the Son in incarnation. These efforts are, quote, foredoomed to failure. The scriptures speak anthropomorphically of God and could not do otherwise. But for all that, God in himself is immutable. There's change round about him. There's change in the relation of things to him, but there is no change in God himself. Now, I call this, looking now first at Voss, then Bavink and Van Til, I call this, quote-unquote, mirror logic regarding the new relation to creation on the one side and the new relation to the human nature on the other side. There's a mirror logic a parallel pattern of reasoning here. In the work of creation, the relation changes, the creature in the relation changes, but the persons of the immutable Godhead remain the same. Likewise, in the event of the incarnation, the relation changes, the human nature assumed changes, but the divine person remains living and immutable in that relation. This insight provides the theological rails that keep the communicatio idiomatum from being misapplied to teach the mutability of the person of the Son in the hypostatic union and thus a form of eutychianism. Voss explicitly now, back, back to Voss, Voss explicitly applies the new relation logic of creation to the new relation logic of the hypostatic union. And so on this, Voss, Bavink, and Van Til are one. Um, listen to this. Voss says that one must, uh, this is from page 178 of his RD, um, and this is now the, the, the mirror argument 
RD1178. This is the mirror argument between creation and incarnation. Listen. Voss says, quote, One must distinguish between active and passive creation. The former has in view the act of creating in God, the latter, the universe as created. Of the former, active, Voschus says, creation actively considered is not a real change because by it, God is not changed in that act. It only requires a new relationship of the creator to what is created. And this new relation, which is not real in God, can therefore not affect a real change in him. And then Voss quotes another uh, scholastic, the creation is not a change in the creator, but a change in the creature, a change from potential being to actual being. Reform Dogmatics 178. Now listen to Voss on the hypostatic union. This is the mirror logic we've just seen in Bavink and Voss and Van Til. He says, quote, The deity has not ceased to be deity and is not in the least altered or changed by the incarnation. Hard pause there. Please hear that. The deity in the hypostatic union is not in the least altered. So, so think of it this way. Not this much. Not a, there is not even an, a, a, the tiniest microscopic change in the Son of God in the incarnation. Comma. Now the rest of the quote. Except insofar as it through the person has entered into a new relationship. Nor is it, nor is the true humanity elevated on the supposition of the eternity of the person, except insofar as it has entered into a new and entirely unique relationship. Do you see the parallel? RD 178, new relation. Now RD 3, and uh, uh, I, I, I don't have that quote. Uh, uh, in RD3, it's going to be around 42, a new relationship. And what is the logic of the new relation? The deity is not in the least changed in the work of creation or in the act of incarnation, but there is a new relation. The change is not in the Son's simpliciter but a change in his relation. The eternal person of the Son remains immutable and is not in the least altered or changed in the incarnation, except insofar as the person has entered into a new relationship. Here's the key, listen. The, the prepositional phrase, in the least, maintains absolute immutability. The language of new relationship, true union. Absolute immutability is maintained in the true union and new relationship the Son enters into with humanity. The Son does not change when He creates. The Son does not change when He incarnates. His person remains living 
and immutable in his freely willed relation to creation and in his freely willed relation to an assumed human nature. So Voss, Bavinck, and Van Til all claim that we can only affirm robustly the immutability of God if we affirm precisely that the person of the eternal Son remains immutable both in the work of creation and in the event of incarnation. Let me put it this way. What we affirm about theology proper has to govern what we affirm about Christology. The person of the eternal Son in the incarnation enters into a new relation to his assumed humanity, just as the person of the eternal Son entered into a new relation with creation. Whatever else we say about the relation between the immutable person and the mutable human nature in the union of the hypostatic union, we cannot deny this cardinal point. And so what have we seen? Well, from Van Til, IST, uh, 210-211, Voss and his Reformed Dogmatics, I believe this last quote down here was RD 342 still. Um, th there's a mirror relation between creation and incarnation. So once we see that, we're in a place now to define more precisely the distinctive relation of incarnation. If there's, let me put it this way, if the relationship between creation and incarnation is the same, in that the living and immutable divine person of the Son does not change, wherein does the difference consist? What's the difference between the new relation to creation on the one side and the new relation to assumed humanity on the other side? In both, the relation changes. In both, the creature in the relation changes. In both, the eternal person of the Son remains immutable and living and eternal. Wherein does the difference consist? This is going to lead us to our second point. In distinction from the relation to creation, the relation to the humanity in the incarnation is a personalizing union. We're going to call it an n-hypostatic conception of humanity. That when the Son of God assumes a human nature in relation to himself in the hypostatic union, it is a personalizing union that distinguishes that union from the bare creator-creature relation before the fall. And so the second proposition here is that in addition to a living and immutable divine person assuming a true humanity, the precise character of that union is a personalizing union. And we'll explain that more as we continue to develop this argument.